Hello and welcome to Alternative Christian Voices. I'm your host, Sam Shepard. You probably already know that. Today we welcome Bishop Humphrey Southern, former Bishop of Repton and current Principal of Ripon College Cudston here in Oxford. Humphrey, welcome to the show. Do you feel young and rebellious? I feel young-ish always <laughs> rebellious. <laughs> young-ish. I was asked for the first time the other day whether I qualify for the over 65s um, bus pass. <laughs> so I'm just getting over that. <laughs> a good five and a bit years too soon. I know because I, I know you've got a Wikipedia page. Yeah. Did you know that? No, I didn't. No, know I didn't either. I Googled you and you've got a Wikipedia page. Gosh, that's I so swear grown. I didn't do it. That's very grown up. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously not to be relied on in any way at all. Oh, no, I, I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> so why don't you tell us uh, in your own words... Um, who do you think you are? Who, are who you? do I think I am? I think, first of all, I'm a child of God. And oh, good answer. Give, give great thanks for that. Um, as well as being a child of God and, by God's grace, um, a servant of God, I'm also uh, a father and a husband. And, uh, as I say, I, I think in my Twitter feed, an uh, improbably uh, a theological college principal on top of being a deacon, a priest and a bishop. Uh, and I've been principal here at Cudston for just coming out for five years now. Yes, yeah, so uh, I was you, in your first you, class. You were yeah. uh, uh, amongst those that amongst my inheritance. Uh, and uh, I've gotten better since me, I, I gather. <laughs> well, well, I couldn't possibly comment on that. Uh, but uh, and that was an interesting move for me. I, uh, before that, my my almost my entire ministerial life was as a parish priest in a number of different parishes, and then latterly helping to run uh, the Diocese of Derby. Uh, which is a bit like being a parish priest, just as a sort of slightly different level. So this was uh, this was quite a quite a change for me, uh, and on the whole, one I've rejoiced in and delighted over. It's very different, isn't it? It's a very different world to to being a bishop. It's it is in some ways, and in some ways, it's very episcopal indeed. I think being a bishop is largely about trying to hold things together. It's trying to interpret one bit of the church to another. It's you know, called being the focus of unity, but that's what that really means. Uh, and I guess that on a much smaller or more immediate and intimate and perhaps intense scale, that's what being uh, a college principal is about, holding something together. Okay, so we went on social media, because um, we do social media. It's very modern, very modern podcast, this one, <laughs> good, like good. most podcasts. Yeah. Um, yes, so I, the so historic ones are a bit rare. <laughs> Not the sort of, yeah, the, the ones from the 50s <laughs> um, don't tend to use social media. But so, so we went on social media, we asked our listeners what they wanted to ask you, and I'm going to ask you some of our favourites, or some of my favourites, I should say. Mm-hmm. I, I like to pretend that someone um, else works with me. Yeah. Um, the editorial team. Yeah, the editorial <laughs> team. I've got a whole office. I do have, I have two people that help me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I don't actually give them any say over anything. So. Correct. Right. No editorial control for the editor. No, no. Too. Well, I learnt my management from you, sis. Absolutely. I'm glad. I'm glad you. I'm glad you went straight to the heart. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Some listener questions. Do you prefer sunrise or sunset? Ooh, which do I see more often? <laughs> um, would be a good question. I love sunrise actually. Sunrise. Mm. That came from. Uh, 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 Oh, I can't think of his name. Um, his first name's Darcy Chesterfield. Oh yeah, um, right. Chesterfield yeah. Terry. Mm. Um, have we ever used Tip X to get marks out your collar? No, no. Of course, we, me and you both know that you can wash them. Yeah, you can. You can scrub them. And, yeah, yeah, you can use a nail brush. It, is it true that you need a faculty to get Mark Chapman's office cleaned? I don't think anybody's ever attempted to apply for one. Right, so there's no way of knowing. No. Uh, is Ivo your real middle name? It is, and there was a terrible scandal when Crawford once printed it as Ivor, 
No offence to the Welsh, but that's not my oh, no. name. <laughs> no, I, the much more regular Ivo. Yeah, absolutely, yes. <laughs> my personal... It's my, it's my Norman uh, uh, origins coming to the fore there. Came over the conquest. <laughs> my personal favourite is Bishop, your real first name. <laughs> no, and once it wasn't my name at all. <laughs> um, another favourite of mine, who's your favourite wrestler? Um, I think I'd have to... I think I'd have to take notice of that question. Patrick. I'd have to do a bit of research. Give you me got, some names. So, uh, oh, Giant Haystacks. I remember him. Giant Haystacks. Yeah, okay. well, so the names that came with the question, well, I've edited it down a bit, were Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair. Oh, well, um, I wouldn't be able to do that. I do remember a guy called Crusher Mason as well. I don't. Yeah, no, Crusher Mason was great. And at the time, I had a tutor called Dr. Mason, so the two things went quite well together. <laughs> uh, so there's one that I don't really understand, um, but I was curious enough to include it. But I thought um, I might ask you, could you tell the whole story of the hole in the hedge wall whilst training? Does that mean anything to you? No and yes. No, I can't tell it. Yes, it does mean something. <laughs> I really want to... You'll tell, I'll turn the mics off. No. I'll pretend to. <laughs> no. You're right not to trust me. I wouldn't really. I turned this big one off, but I keep yeah, this little the other one, one on. Yeah, I wasn't born yesterday. <laughs> I was, so... Um, I, I'll do real questions. I'll do grown-up questions. Mm. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about what you do here at Custom? What does Custom do? What's Custom about? Custom is about a number of things, but its principle, its sort of core vocation and its uh, reason for existence is to train clergy, to uh, take the people whom the church has recommended for training as public ministers and help them to, to develop into the people that God is making them to be for that purpose, to, to be people who will be able to preach the good news, to proclaim the kingdom, to bring reconciliation, to serve God's precious people, to celebrate the sacraments and uh, and read and interpret scripture. So there's the whole of that, that activity that uh, clergy are for, and we're about helping the people who the church believes God has called to realise that possibility in themselves. Right. But I mean, any any principal of any college could tell me that. What what What's... What's unique about this one? Why, why, when I came here, why would I choose this one over uh, Trinity? Mention the enemy. <laughs> um, one of the things that, that Cousin for quite a long time has stood for has been something which very intentionally reflects and celebrates the diversity of the church. Anybody who knows anything about the Church of England, anybody who knows anything about Anglicanism, knows that it's a, in a, a hugely diverse expression of the Christian faith. And for diverse, you could read uh, 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 tribal, really. It's, it, it's, it's, it's very easy for it to, to split into uh, little um, subsets of itself uh, and to operate in bubbles that, uh, that, that, that define themselves against one another. Actually, I think it's one of the great gifts that God's given to the world in Anglicanism is the idea of a church which, can, which, which, which is not just fed by diversity but rejoices in it. And we try and celebrate that here. So we try and encourage, we try to see this place as somewhere that people from all sorts of diverse corners of the church can come and share who they are and enrich, therefore, one another. So it's about um, diversity, I like to say, is not here a, a problem or an issue to be managed, but a gift to be celebrated and rejoiced over. Hmm. I know, there's, I, I know that... Um... My experience of most churches is that most churches think that what they do is normal, mm. and every church, certainly the Church of England, seems to do everything a little bit Absolutely. differently. Um, yeah. mm. I think I was here for three years, um, and it, you know, I, I don't know it, when that worked. 
when that worked, it worked really well. You know, when it was good, it was amazing. And there were yeah. times when, um, there were times when, when, when you can engage with people who, frankly, you, you totally disagree with. I, I think of uh, my friend Rob. I live right next to him. We're very good friends, and he. So we had to walk to chapel together every morning, and he's politically. I'm sort of left-wing socialist. He's he's sort of in the young conservative clubs, or he was when he was young. Um, <laughs> and you and you walk to chapel every morning through the silence, of course. Yeah, this difference. I don't think the silence applies until we go onto college grounds. So we didn't live on college grounds. Ah, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> but right. I always respected silence, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely. That you know, that's the one thing people say about me. Isn't he quiet? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I remember. I remember them saying it. I remember how surprised <laughs> I was at the time. <laughs> So we used to we used to, and we used to walk together every day and we walk home together every day because mm. we live next door and mm. there's only so many conversations you can have mm. about about whether or not David Cameron's a dickhead. Um, yeah. Do you know at a certain at a certain point you've mm. got to move past it and when yeah. we when you move past it you start to think actually underneath this veneer of of, of difference there's quite a lot of common ground there's quite a lot of places where where we're and we've become very good friends, and, and I think because, and he's not, you know, there are other people who, in a different environment, I would never have encountered. Mm-hmm. Having said that, what I, what I would say is that there were times when that didn't work as well, yeah. and that tension crept through. Yeah. yeah. So how do you manage yeah. that tension? Well, it I is think, here. Yeah, of course it is, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's authentically here because it's authentically part of the life of the church. It's authentic. It's what it is to be. Uh, a Christian, actually, but it's certainly what it is to be an Anglican Christian, certainly what it is to be a Church of England Christian. Um, and what one explores, I think, is um, not just what unites us as opposed to what separates us, but also the fact that what it is that unites us is actually, in the end, the most important stuff. It's we're united by the fact that we're held in the love of God. We're united by the fact that we're called into a common community of worship and and the sacraments and the scriptures um the things that we disagree about essentially i would claim are less important than the things that we agree about and i think discovering that and discovering also that it's not always about what we think but what we recognize what we recognize in the other however much we might differ about politics about religion about um the, the sort of things that Christian or professional Christians get really hot under the collar about the sort of professional Christians. Uh, Is that what I am? Uh, absolutely, afraid so, Sam. It's uh, <laughs> what you came here for three years for. Uh, that, that 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 those sorts of things, you know, how we worship or uh, how we pray or how we do our theology or whatever. Um, those things, um, however much we dif- d- disagree over those things, when we look one another in the eye, what we see is somebody beloved of God just like us. And that's what holds us together in unity. And I think that in some senses, the diversity and the problems that that sometimes causes is not just worth it, but actually a rich gift because it enables us to explore the underlying unity. If we were all exactly the same as each other, if we uh, were just completely happy with one another because we all agreed the same thing, we wouldn't ever need to think about uh, that which holds us together, which is God. So then we couldn't growing you know, other one of the things i would say about uh, there are there were people in my time that took it too far that, that were unkind and ungenerous but uh, mm. but the disagreements are often where where i found i grew the most in mm. in engaging with things that i didn't find easy mm. 
Now that is, you know, my whole, I was, as I said, I was here for three years and, I, and I've been fairly, fairly open about the fact, and I was fairly open whilst I was here, that it wasn't easy for me. Mm. There were elements of it that I really loved, but, mm. but it, it wasn't an easy period for me, probably mm. was never going to be. Mm -hmm. But I don't regret it because that growth came from that challenge. I think. Um, I mean, that's great to hear. In a way, you're 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 sort of, as in so many other respects, a poster boy for the whole institution. <laughs> but but I, it, I, I I don't know because I looked through the website and I'm not on it. Ah, ah. Uh, well, we've got to give the opposition I've a got chance. A, I've, I've, I've got I've got what's called a face for podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but what you described is surely. I mean, the, the people make a joke about the big F word in our world, which is formation. And um, but what you've described is that it is that we are we, we, we are drawn into being the people that God is creating. And that's a constant process. And that's done through a process very often of challenge and stretch. So you spend time with people who are different. You stand by stand, spend time in an environment which is alien, which is unusual, which is weird. And through that, you discover um, more of how you're loved by God and what God is loving within you into being. Um, and, and, and in a sense, the stretch and the challenge is not just something that happens on the side. It's actually central to the whole to the whole to the whole purpose. I don't mean by that a kind of masochism that it's got the medicine's got to taste nasty to work. Right. But I do mean that that that's sort of at the heart of our engagement with life is complicatedness and richness uh, and diversity is about complicatedness and richness it's about the fullness and richness and breadth of the promise there's always more to explore it's also there's always more to be challenged by to be frightened by to be outraged by as well you can't have one without the other so med medicine doesn't have to taste bad but sometimes it does exactly so i want to track back a bit to, to something you you touched on a bit well if you would so what what you said well what i heard you say was that that um I can't remember how I phrased it. Was uh, you know how, how, how that kind of um, how to cope with that diversity? I've remembered now. Mm -hmm. how, to, um, <laughs> mm -hmm. how to cope with that diversity? How to how to coexist in an environment that is intentionally intentionally broad and varied? Mm -hmm. Would you say that the key to that is to recognise each other as as children of God first and foremost? So whatever 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 else we disagree on, we have that that core base, we're all important, we all matter, yeah. and I want it to work. I think the key to that is the grace of God, because that's the means by which we do that. So it's, I'm, I can't look at somebody that I disagree with intensely, or dislike intensely, or I'm shocked by, or find um, really complicated, and by effort of will say they're a wonderful person. What I can do is look at such a person and pray for and receive the, God, uh, the, the grace of God to see in that person... Um, someone who bears God's image right someone who's, who's someone who's who's beloved of God a child of God as am I and seeing that the fundamental unity but it's not always an easy thing to do is it no way <laughs> no way because we're also fallen people and we're also people for whom difference and uh, the importance of um, protecting our own identity and living in a very defensive bubble which says this is me and I define me by not being you uh, which is which is the path path which leads then to a much more competitive kind of uh, engagement and a, a one which is actually about confrontation rather than sharing. That comes, I think, naturally as part out of our sort of fallen human humanity. Being good for fallen people isn't natural. It does. It is something which needs the grace of God to achieve, 
and sometimes some discipline and willpower to appropriate that grace of God and make it work for us. Don't hit him when he says something horrible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Jesus said something about motes and beams in our eyes. You remember that bit? I do, I've read the Matthew Bible. Scott, Matthew's yeah, Gospel towards uh, the end of the book. <laughs> <laughs> once, once or twice. I was very surprised when I got to college. Um, because I, when I became a Christian, I took everything fairly literally. I, I'm, I'm not that bright. So when, um, when my priest said to me that you have to read the Bible, I thought, oh, all right. So I, I did. Yeah. Um, and I was quite surprised when I arrived at college that um, there were people I trained with who, who hadn't read bits of the Bible before coming here. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not having to go at anyone because yeah. they recognized that they should know Scripture better and they learnt it. So mm-hmm. um, That was great. Um, so there are people that would say, though, so this is, I recognize that Custon has... Um, a variety of different pathways mm-hmm. but I guess because I trained on the residential pathway I think of it primarily as a residential college yeah. and there are people who would say that kind of traditional residential should we say seminary that kind mm. of traditional college mm. is on its way out with places like with like Simulitis with your own part-time pathway with um, uh, sort of on-the-job training that, that mm. some colleges provide how would you respond to that idea? Um, I'm very strongly committed to training people in a whole range of different modes uh, and uh, because people's circumstances are different people's personalities are different people the demands on people's lives are different and therefore it's important to have a range of different modes I don't like debating modes of training in the same way as the animals have conversations in uh, in animal farm if you remember that with four yeah. legs good two legs bad that's no way so I, I don't, don't like one which, which talks up traditional residential training by talking down context-based training for instance right. I, I think that's a that's a that's a rather you know unproductive conversation so I'm committed to there being a range of different modes I'm committed to that and I wouldn't be doing the job I was if I didn't believe that because we train people residentially and non-residentially we train people uh, part-time and full-time we, tra- we train people at Custon and elsewhere we train people who are working in a paid job we work with, with, with uh, with people with home commitments, we train people, you know, across the board. So I'm, I, it would be stupid of me uh, to say one's better than the other across the board. Yeah. I regret, though, and to come back to your question, um, the fact that there is quite a flow away from traditional full-time residential training, simply because uh, I've committed to all modes. And if one of them is uh, is, is experiencing a bit of a, a, a crisis of confidence of the church if that's what it is or that the church is not prepared to pay for it which is also uh, a significant factor then I think the whole becomes impoverished by that and that's certainly true within the sort of structure of our institution where you know because of the economics and things like that if we lose out on decent numbers of people training in that particular mode actually the whole institution to a degree suffers because that's the way the, the, yeah. the, the finances work and that's the most expensive so it is the most presumably. expensive word, absolutely without by, by a long chalk so then we've got to say what makes that mode worthwhile given that it's so much more expensive and i think that there are some people uh, for whom um training full-time and in what i call close community where all of that stuff of diversity is actually uh, very intensely experienced, is particularly important and productive. Not for everyone, but it is for some. Uh, there are different advantages for training non-residentially, different advantages for, for, for training uh, for training part and different challenges and different difficulties as well, some quite significant ones, actually. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I, I regret, and I would, I would regret intensely the disappearance 
of full-time residential training. I think it's a it's a tried and tested mode of training, which is very important and very helpful for large numbers of people. So what you're advocating is is is, is a a wide variety of training to so train people in the way that, that mm. teaches them best, mm. but that you feel residential has a strong place in that. Exactly right. That's I think it was interesting. You said that. Um, you, you you said that living alongside people is part of that formation, mm. and I think of there are some people there are some people like Rob who, in spite of differences, we became very good friends. Yeah. I, I won't name anyone because I don't want to be mean, but mm. but but I must say there were people who I just couldn't ha- stand. There were people that I that I still actively dislike. Mm. I'm not proud of that, mm. but it's true. Um, and actually, again, at the end of the day, I may hate everything you stand for, but I've still got to come into work with you every day. I've still got to sit in chapel with you. I've still got to say my prayers with you. And, and you learn. And I think that's a skill that I that I have used in in life since, that I learned to live with people that I found difficult. And they didn't stop being difficult, no. but I learned to live no. with them. No. And presumably, no. if I found them difficult, it stands to reason they found me equally sure. difficult sure. and learned to live with me. Absolutely. And it's. And I think learning to live is a good practical um, expression of it. I think that... Jesus in the Bible is even more, much more demanding than that when he talks about the need to love our enemies. Um, enemies is not a word that we think about very naturally, but if you uh, substitute the word enemies for when you said people that I actively dislike, I think Jesus is talking about much the same sort of thing or people mm. who actively dislike us. And actually, what does it mean to love? Well, the first thing it means is to acknowledge their right to be uh, and their existence and their validity as they are and not to run away from that uh, and not to write it off and actually sharing space sharing meals sharing social time sharing worship is actually essential about that a lot of that does and can happen on uh, all sorts of range of part-time courses um, there's a particular intensity to the way that it happens in in residential training courses. and there's something about i, I used to um there's a, a, a daily mass here and um that was optional i presume mm. there still is there is um that i used to go to every day and and, and you you go and shake some, and then there's wednesday communion with the whole with the whole college in as much of it as possible and there's something about so the bible says that that before you come to the altar to to make peace if you've got a problem to make peace yeah. mm. and there's something about having to walk up to someone knowing that knowing that you've just done a confession right so you, you you've just you've mm. just sat before god and acknowledged your sinfulness and then to walk up to someone you don't like, mm. shake their hand and say, peace be with you, mm. because actually if I don't do that, I can't come to the altar. Because mm. without recognising, without recognising, how, how, how can I make a confession like that mm. and take seriously that, that, that Jesus died for me, mm. but not recognise that, well, okay, these people are flawed and broken as well, just like I am. And, mm. um, and of course, a, a key part of, a key element of confession is repentance which means uh, a, a strong intention to do things differently. So when you go up to the person in those circumstances and hold out your hand and offer them peace, not only are you saying it in the light of what you've just done, but you're saying it and doing it because at that moment you absolutely believe it. Mm. Because if you don't, then it makes a lie of the whole lot. <laughs> you can't see his face, but he just... You <laughs> just pulled a face out of me. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's very and one of the things that my um one of the things that my incumbent always says she won't do um won't do communion without without peace and without um confessions her mm. big thing mm. um and it's one of the things that it's a bit of an aside really but I expected when I was ordained priest I was ordained priest two years ago now and I I expected that communion would be the thing you know, presiding at the altar would be the thing that was most special to me and it was absolutely special mm. to me 
But it wasn't the thing that was most special to me. I was mm. utterly surprised that actually in second was was absolution. So to yeah. say to someone that someone was confessing to say you're forgiven, God for, not because my forgiveness doesn't mean anything, but God yeah. forgives you. Yeah. Uh, and and blessing is my favorite thing to stand in front. And I was this one really surprised me. I didn't think I'd care, but to to stand in front of someone and say, "You are blessed of God. God blesses you." Yeah. And again, it's my blessing. It means nothing. Is mm-hmm. I, as a priest, I would I would understand that I'm not giving my blessing, but rather the church has entrusted me with the authority to to make that judgment and say when God is blessing. I'm very trigger happy with blessings. They should have given it to someone more discerning. I I bless anything, but um, well, yeah, it's good because I'd rather think that seems to me to be that something of the generosity of God, isn't it? And that doesn't surprise me at all. What you say about that that sort of sense of fulfilment of your priesthood feeling great at those particular moments, you know, at the heart of uh, our understanding of the sacraments uh, ministered by authorized ministers is that notion of reconciliation. When you declare God's forgiveness, you declare the reconciliation that God wills for the whole of his creation. And to be a channel of that, to be an authentic, authorised voice of that, is a phenomenal um, privilege. You're absolutely right. I'm with you on that. So, well, good. So we, we've drifted on to priesthood. It's a good time for the next question. So what... Uh, your job then is to train priests and to equip new priests. What are you looking for in a good candidate? What makes a good priest in your mind? I think I might start with a word which is actually quite unfashionable uh, nowadays. And maybe it's always been unfashionable because it's always been uncomfortable, which is the word humility. Uh, I look for and long for and try uh, to hope to find in myself uh, a quality of humility, a quality of willingness to learn, willingness to be used, willingness to listen to the agenda as set by others, principally, obviously, to be obedient to the agenda as set by God insofar as it can be determined uh, and discovered, but also, therefore, as one goes, as one engages with others through ministry, and a willingness a willingness to do that in a way which is, um, which listens before it speaks, which um, discerns before it judges, uh, which um, is obedient, another unfashionable word, unfashionable word um, to, as I say, what I call the agenda set by others, um, that it's not all about me, me, me. And it's quite difficult that for clergy because um, much as, you know, I don't think I've, anything I said that anybody would actually want categorically to disagree with. I'd be very surprised if they did. However, the role is set up for a way which does put an awful lot of emphasis on the individual. In many traditions, we dress them up in special clothes and we put them in special places and we stick them in pulpits and in front of altars uh, where there's a lot of attention on them. If you're a bishop, you have a funny hat as well. And, uh, and, a, and a staff. And a, yeah, absolutely. And a big fat ring and you know everything. Um, <laughs> it's very easy, therefore, to get seduced into believing that somehow or other it's more about me than anything else. And you hear people, I hear myself, talking about my ministry. It's a terrible phrase. It should never be allowed. Uh, it's not my ministry. It's not my work. It's not my responsibility, in a sense. All of that is stuff that I and you are called into by the grace of God, the ministry of Christ, shared by grace with Christ's people, the church. And we're called into that. And I think to operate in that way does need that quality of listening before speaking, of humility, of provisionality, in a way. Right. 
So, so humility is for because I would say that in, in training, in, in you used the word already, formation. Mm. I think one of the things I found challenging was that it is very much about you. Who are you? Mm. Who are you become? Yeah. My friends uh, writing a blog. Who am I becoming? It, it's mm. excellent. I don't yeah. mean that as an attack on him, yeah. but but very much. I, you, mm. who am I becoming? Yeah. How am I? Yeah. How am I forming? Yeah. And, and yes, I don't think there's a. Uh, I think that's a that's an absolutely fair point. I don't think there's a clear clear contradiction between what I said and what you've just said. Um, I think if I am to be properly humble, properly obedient, properly attentive to God, then my knowing who I am before God is an essential part of that. I think those two things are right. entirely consistent with each other. When my knowledge of who I am before God just simply becomes uh, an, a, an obsession with who I am before the world or who I am before myself or what I want, all of which are different things, but you can see how easy it is to leech into those sorts of questions. Then I've lost my humility. I've lost thinking about who I am before God and I just think about who I am. So there's a line there between knowing who you are and, and thinking you're special. Was it... um? I think it was Desmond Tutu said something like something something like to love your neighbour as yourself. You have to really love yourself like God loves you. Absolutely right. Um, Absolutely right. Not something yeah. I've spoken before um, mm. and written a lot about about my own mental illnesses. I have two anxious conditions and and, and uh, one of them is body dysmorphia. I, I find me very difficult. I don't yes. like me. Yeah. Um, mm. I think if you're fairly if if you're a fairly discerning person and you've met me, you could probably mm. realise that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's quite hard mm. to say that to spend. Mm. You know, all that time focused on on me and who I am yeah. is quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think that's why it's really important to, to to remember why we do it. We don't do it to build each of us up, to say that you're special, to say that to say that you're wonderful, uh, or even to say that some of those flaws of character or of health or of disposition or of whatever it might be, uh, to say that those things don't matter. They do. Actually, they matter all the more because they're part of what God, God loves. Uh, and and who are, that's why I keep coming back to this phrase, not who am I, but who am I before God? Who is the me that God knows and loves and values? That's what the, the me I need to believe in. That's the me I need to trust because that's the me which is redeemed of God. And that's the me that God is calling into service and into usefulness. Um, so the more I can get to know that me, the me that is real before God, that's quite that's quite excruciating at times because there's an awful lot of that me that God knows and loves that I rather wish weren't true and would much rather deny, much rather ignore. Um, there's also unworthy bits of that. Um, so actually, part you know, to, 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 to that sense of knowing myself uh, deeply is actually part of what's painful, part of that mm. formational stuff which is actually quite challenging. So as someone who's, um, as someone who I would say has got quite a lot of influence over, over the future of the church, because you train it, mm. or well, no, actually I don't really think that because I don't think clergy of the church, mm. but, um, but that's, a that's, nother, that's a whole that's a whole nother thing. That bit of the training work, then good. <laughs> <laughs> some of it, some of it did. I, I listened occasionally. <laughs> you, just, you just can't sit somewhere with my attention span in a lecture theater all day and think I'm going to learn anything. No. <laughs> so how, as someone with quite a lot of influence, how do you see... The future of the church. What, what in, what in your mind is, does the future look like? I mean, in a sense, you've touched on the most important bit of my answer, I think, which is that I'm le I'm not particularly interested in the future of the church. I'm interested in the future of 
what the church is called for. I'm much more interested in the, in the future of the kingdom. Uh, and I have much more confidence in the future of the kingdom because the kingdom is of God. And, uh, and I have much more confidence in that than I do in the church, if by church you mean uh, the institution, usually. Yeah, I suppose I, I, I do. Yeah. talk about the institution. Um, and uh, I'm enough of a historian to know that the church as a human institution has had good times and had bad times, had times of great confidence, times of um, uh, great challenge, times of being more obviously faithful to what it stands for and times of being most obviously not faithful to what it stands for. Um, and I'm an, you know, I, I'm aware as I am of that kind of trajectory, that kind of that kind of roller coaster, if you like. Um, I'm not too particularly too bothered whether we're on an upswell or a downswell. Um, most people would say that at the moment we were on a downswell and a lot of people would be in quite a panic about that um, uh, or very concerned about that. Um, I think I'm relatively relaxed, relatively relaxed. What matters to me much, much more is that whether there's loads of us confident and uh, and well-founded or small numbers of us clinging on by our fingernails, what matters to me is that we should be faithful and that we should be faithful to what we believe God's purposes are for us, um, which are essentially about proclaiming and living uh, the kingdom, pointing to it, pointing to the reality of God in the world. Um, that that famous adage made well made famous by by Rowan Williams which said that you know mission is 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 about going and finding what God is doing and then joining in rather than as it were taking something out and making it happen I think the church is about about that that kind of pointing connecting uh uh animating of the the kingdom it's an interesting word that I think we're about the animation of things rather than the domination of things and when we're at the but our best, we get that. We're about working with uh, and discovering and celebrating stuff. When we're at our worst, we're about dominating and trying to call the shots and make it make it happen. So, as institution, as an institution with power and influence, I'm pretty relaxed about that. I think we're on a downward spiral about that uh, for the time being. Certainly, we've got we've got less power, less influence, fewer numbers, less money. Um, there are some things that we are learning rightly to be deeply ashamed of in terms of recent and longer ago history, thinking in terms of some of the safeguarding scandals and outrages. Um, uh, and ashamed as I am of some of that, in terms of what it's doing to us, um, that we're not the great powerful institution that we have been at different times in our history, really doesn't bother me very much. Uh, what bothers me far more, or what would bother me far more, would be if, we, if I felt that we weren't being uh, uh, faithful to our calling. So it's about being faithful, big or small, glorious or not. Absolutely. I'm not saying I, I, I did a little history as well. I, mm. I'm not sure that what we have become... So I, I had this argument with a, another uh, former student here mm. about whether or not Christendom was a good thing. I don't mm. think it was. Because mm. I think when we were in charge, when we had mm. when we had that kind of civic power and authority, we it, it seems to me like we stopped being what we're supposed to be. Um, the Church of England became what they call the middle class at prayer, mm. don't they? And mm. Not that you know middle class people can come and pray; that's fine. But but you know we stopped being um, we stopped being the voice, the voiceless. So we stopped being the we stopped being the, the that prophetic voice. We stopped being the church in in many ways, and we became a structure. And I think as a parish priest, I'd rather have I'd rather have fifty people mm. that uh, all all want to be there than 150 who think they ought to be there. 
I think the 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 um, version of that thing that you're remembering was more often actually the Tory Party at prayer. I don't, think, <laughs> don't think many people would say that's the Church of England now. Uh, um, might I hope not, but I'm but aware no, I'm in Oxford. It might be that might be the the Guardian readership at prayer or something. It's <laughs> a slightly different thing. Um, as soon as we identify with any with 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 any other kind of sort of power influence block, there's there's something to start worrying about. Um, I mean, I would go some of the way with you. I think that I'd see that a close association with society um, uh, and with social structures can be very beguiling and very dangerous. Uh, and it can be about the church uh, on some kind of power trip. But it also can be uh, uh, at times extremely uh, enabling. It, gives, it can give access to um, uh, uh, places of service or places of prophecy, uh, which are which are otherwise harder to find. So it's about how responsibly we live in the various places that we find ourselves, rather than the niches we want to carve out for ourselves. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and I think a good example of that is um, that I know comes up a lot is bishops in the House of Lords. Yeah. Ideologically, I don't really want bishops in the House of Lords, but mm. I think I. I don't want them there, but I also don't want them not to be there because if they're not there. Mm. Who's going to say the things that lords don't tend to say? <laughs> well, I think I think that you you put that very well. Uh, uh, Wesley Carr, who's a bit of a hero of mine, um, uh, former dean of Westminster. You can't get a much more establishment job than that. No. Um, friend uh, of yours just, just uh, took it. A friend of mine just took it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, uh, that um, that. But Wesley Carr um, used to talk about uh, the establishment in two sort of modes. He talked about what he called a high establishment. By which he meant what I would call the sort of Gilbert and Sullivan end of things, which was about sort of bishops in the House of Lords and coronations and 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 a lot of the sort of flummery which goes with being established church, including some of the sort of ob more obvious naked temptations to power and power trips. And he'd also talk about the earth, what he called the earth establishment, which is actually the much more ordinary stuff of um, churches in communities, animating them and making them richer and 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 more joyous places to be um and the if 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 we only think in terms of um all of that privilege at the top without thinking some of that obligation at the bottom burying everybody who dies in the parish because they've got a right to be buried by the church of england uh, whether whether they want to exercise that right or not conducting the weddings of everybody in the parish because they happen to live there irrespective of what they belong to or what they believe in um uh celebrating life at its most sort of basic levels um, then if we're not doing that faithfully if we're not as committed to that in terms of obligation then the rest really does become a dangerous distraction it is one of the things that i think is special about churching is that parish system mm. which i think in some places is under threat but i, yeah. I think it's extremely important because so my parish is snow west it's a council estate in, in south bristol mm. and um i i go to a working men's club quite regularly there and a lot of them mm. a lot of them don't particularly want me don't mm. don't recognize me as a mm. uh, as anything and it doesn't really matter actually yeah. it doesn't change my obligation yeah. to them i remember yeah. there was one guy that i helped get his son uh, out of prison for his granddad's funeral mm. um and he softened to me after that before that he was very anti me but mm. actually mm. for my to my mind i'm your priest whether you want me or not Absolutely it doesn't right. i have an obligation i took vows i have an obligation to yeah. do everything i can for you mm -hmm. whatever you think yeah. of me yeah. and i think that's a very unique yeah. thing that we I don't want to see it go. Yeah. I, I, I entirely agree with you there. And, I, 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 and what what I think threatens it actually probably isn't the sort of ideological logical position of the kind of guy who was quite resistant to before. What threatens it much more is a very churchy kind of church. 
a church which says actually no your primary job Sam is to look after your congregation oh they don't want they don't, they'd prefer not to see me if they can well I can understand <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but in general a lot there is, a lot of clergy would feel I think more than perhaps in many previous generations it's a bit of a generalization but uh, would would feel that more of their time more of their energy is taken up with looking after the interests of the church as an institution and less about uh, that kind of community involved uh, ministry so it's about the congregation it's about their interests and their concerns it's about the building it's about the structures it's about the institution um, and some of that's completely unavoidable but it, it, it's a tragedy in so far as it takes people away from that service of people um, simply because they're there hmm. well that's a brilliant place to end we have run out of time mm-hmm. thank you for coming on i really Enjoy. appreciate it i know you're a very busy person um, great to see you it's been lovely yeah. to see you both coming back it's nice to be it's very yeah, yeah my, i brought my wife um mm. rachel's here but she's not in the room because mm. that would be a weird thing to do mm. um but we did come all the way to oxford i'm not doing this on skype you can tell because um you can hear the background noise <laughs> but of, I expect... of, of intense holiness, of intense holiness. The, the noise the noise is completely <laughs> impossible to mistake and, um, and, and, build, and building work <laughs> and building work <laughs> like, i expect that i expect that your name has attracted new listeners at least mm. your students so i'm gonna take the opportunity for a pitch this show is is a fairly simple concept we talk to people and we ask them what they actually think and we're trying to give people a chance to speak for themselves so if you think that's worth doing if you think that's worth doing follow us on facebook and twitter please um like and share my, my tech guy tells me sharing is really important that's based sharing and retweeting is how we get other people to listen um and that's the only way we get we manage to grow so humphrey thank you for coming on thanks Listeners, very much Sam. thank you for listening mm-hmm. i'll talk to you next time Brilliant.